You're listening to the teaching podcast of The Crossing Church. We exist so that the real you can have a daily encounter with the real Jesus in word and deed. For more information about our church, visit crossingparagold.com. came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? Jesus replied, Let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and and lighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. This is the word of the Lord. We believe it. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your word, which is active and living. I pray that right now, Holy Spirit, you would take it and that you would um, illuminate it, that you would open our eyes, open our ears, open our hearts to receive everything that you want us to receive today. It's in Jesus' name that I pray and ask these things. Amen. You may be seated. I'll never forget my first day uh, in ministry. Uh, I was at First Baptist Church here in Paragould. I was 22 years old. I was young, passionate, zealous. I was going to change the world for Jesus. And so my first day uh, on the job, I go into the office there. There were four other full-time employees. And I said, you know what would be great? I think that we should start today in prayer. And I thought they'd be excited about that. Uh, they weren't as excited as I hoped they'd be. But after some convincing... The lead pastor eventually was like, well, you know, I feel guilty for saying no, so let's just all go to the sanctuary and let's pray. And so we go, we kneel down at at the steps there, and and they all pray, kind of one by one, and I go to close us in prayer, and it's one of the best prayers I felt like I'd ever prayed in my life, like it's going to bring the heavens down. I mean, I just felt really, really good about the whole experience until I said amen, because after I said amen, Brother Scott, who was the lead pastor, He looks at me and he says, hey, Jared, has anybody ever told you how often you say, dear Lord, in your prayers? First response. And and I'm looking and I'm kind of taken back by this. And I'm like, "Uh, no, nobody's ever told me that I say, dear Lord, a lot in my prayers. And so as you can imagine, probably even kind of what you're feeling right now, you're like the audacity right? For somebody to talk about how I'm not praying in a way that's good enough or whatever. And so I go back to my office, uh, hang out there doing my thing. Eventually we have a staff meeting. It's a staff lunch. It's 1130 AM. We go to eat at the Red Goose Deli, which at the time was where Skinny Jays is. And, and brother Scott, uh, I think this was somewhat intentional. The food comes out. There's the food, there's a drink. And he says, Jared, why don't you pray for us? And I'm sitting there in that moment, and I'm like, do not say, dear Lord, do not say, dear Lord, do not say, dear Lord. And if I'm lying, I'm dying. I close my eyes, I bow my head, and the first thing out of my mouth is, dear Lord. And I stop, and all of a sudden, I can feel the table shaking. Because Brother Scott, who is kind of a portly man, his belly is up against the the the, the table. And you know how when you're trying not to laugh out loud, your whole body just starts violently shaking? That's what he's doing. So the, 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 the drinks are shaking, the food is shaking. Eventually he busts out laughing, the staff laughs. I have to laugh as well. To this day, we still talk about it and joke about it. But in that moment, it was one of the most embarrassing and humiliating moments I could have imagined at least to start my public ministry. And the reason I share that today is because as, as humbling as that was, 
to the first day in my public ministry, we're about to experience Jesus doing something that's even more humbling. I would even say humiliating on his first day in public ministry. And just to set the context for you, earlier in chapter 3, we didn't read it, but we're introduced to this preacher named John the Baptist. He's a wild man. He's weird. He's quirky. He wore clothes that were made of animal skin. His diet consisted of locusts and wild honey. And despite being an absolute social outcast, this is the man that the prophet Isaiah prophesied to be the forerunner for Jesus' ministry. Uh, He's the one whom God said would be the voice of one, quote, calling in the wilderness in order to prepare a way for the Lord. This is the guy God chose. And so I just want to stop for a moment and point out the fact that God's ways are not our ways. I mean, if I was God and I was going to choose someone to pave the way for Jesus, this long-awaited Messiah who is coming to rescue people from their sins, I would not have chosen John the Baptist for that job. I would not have chosen someone who right now, if they walked into this room, many of us would be appalled by them. But again, God's ways are just not our ways. Whether it be John the Baptist, whether it be Abraham or Moses or Samson or David or the Apostle Paul, uh, just pick any hero of the faith over and over again. The more you study their lives, the more you realize God is famous for choosing the foolish things of the world to shame the wise and the weak to shame the strong. And I just want to sit back for a moment here and just say this. Oftentimes, what we learn in the scriptures and what we see in society is the ones that we look down on are the very ones God wants to build his kingdom with. What God is looking for is not the perfect in appearance, but the poor in spirit. Those are the ones that he accomplishes his great and glorious things through. So I just want to say, if you're here today and you are impressed with yourself, spiritually speaking. If you look around in the room and you scan, you're like, yeah, like I think compared to all these people, like I'm the winner, like like I'm top notch, like I'm varsity level Christian, then there is very little that God can do in you and through you. But on the flip side, if you come to an end of yourself, if you realize that even on your best days, I'm really not that impressive, then you're just the kind of person God is looking for. The truth is today, nobody swaggers into the kingdom of God. We are carried in on a stretcher called grace. And so let's not be impressed with ourselves. Let's not let ourselves get there. Let's not look down on others who don't look or act exactly the way we think that they should. John the Baptist is a weird dude. He is the least likely candidate to prepare the way for the Lord. But here he is, this social outcast, and, and his ministry is getting some momentum. He's starting to gather a crowd. He's growing in popularity. And if you would have traveled through the desert to hear John the Baptist preach, basically what you would find out is every week he's preaching the same message. And if you were to boil down his message to just one word, here it is in a nutshell. Repent. That's it. Turn from your sin and turn with your whole heart back to God. And if you go back and you, and you read his message, I mean, he's not sugarcoating this. He's not trying to be seeker sensitive. At one point, these religious leaders show up to be baptized by John and, and their hearts aren't in the right place. It's just, they know it's a popular ministry. They want to get in on this thing, why it's hot, you know, maybe like buy low, sell high kind of thing. And so John sniffs this out. He realizes that, that their heart's not in the right place. And rather than just saying, hey, you know what, brothers, uh, now is not the time. He says in verse seven, you are a brood of vipers. Who warned you about the wrath to come? And then in verse 8, this isn't just a word for them, but it's a word for you and me today. He says, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. 
In other words, God is not just interested in your lips, what you say with your mouth. He wants your whole life. We need to hear this today because for some of us, we have begun to think that confession or authenticity is the new form of repentance. That really all that matters is that I just need to confess my sin. That I just need to say like, hey, look, here's, here's I did something wrong. I fell short today. I'm even sorry for that. But what we see in the scriptures is, is that more than God just wants you to be sorry for your sin, he wants you to repent of your sin. He wants you to bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And so what that means is, is God is not just looking for people to say, yeah, you know what? I'll admit I've been greedy. No, he wants you to start being generous. Or, you know, I'm just going to admit, yeah, man, like I, I've been lusting. I've, I've been looking at porn or what. He doesn't just want you to confess that. He wants you to start pursuing a life of purity. Like that's what it means to repent is to turn back to God with your whole life. And that doesn't mean that we don't still have moments where we sin and we struggle and we fall short. But when we do, we make an honest effort to turn from that and to turn in obedience back to God. And notice in here the warning for those of us who are like, yeah, I'm not really like, that's not my thing. He says in verse 10, he says, the axe has been laid to the root of the trees and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and will be thrown into the fire. He says, I don't care if you prayed a prayer when you were at vacation Bible school. I don't care if at one point you were baptized in the waters. If you truly receive the Spirit of God, you are going to bear fruit in keeping with repentance. There is going to be a sanctification process that is happening. You will increasingly become more and more like the person that he created you to be. He says, if this is not a concern to you, if you don't produce this kind of fruit, you will be chopped down and thrown into the fire. That's John's message. Can we agree? Like, that's pretty intense. And yet, this is the message that he was proclaiming over and over again. And for those in response who, who heard that message and said, yes, I want to repent, what John said is your next step is baptism. He says, I want you to come to the Jordan River and I want you to be baptized with what he called, quote, the baptism of repentance. A baptism where he would take people down into the water and then he would bring them back up. And it was symbolic for, through their faith, they had been purified, they had been cleansed, they had been forgiven of their sins, they had been made right with God. And as this is taking place, think about this. As sinners are flooding the muddy waters of the Jordan River to be baptized by John, in verse 13, what happens? Then Jesus came. Jesus came from Galilee. And why did he come from Galilee? He came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. So picture this. I mean, here's John, again, this wild-eyed street evangelist who's baptizing the last, the least, and the loss of society with this baptism of repentance. And up walks Jesus. He's the long-awaited Messiah. He's the long-awaited king. He's the one who's supposed to come and rescue you from your sins. And rather than standing back from these sinners with a look of disappointment and disgust, he slips into this dirty river and he stands shoulder to shoulder with those who were considered to be, again, the spiritual outcast of society. And then an incredible act of humility, Jesus says to John, I want you to baptize me. I remember when we decided to start this church and launch it in 2012, and I began to try to design posters and flyers that we could hang up at the cinema or, or, or throughout town. I got a social media account, and I began to make posts on Facebook and encourage other people to share the posts. And, and the whole point of the posters, the whole point of the post is that we were trying to make a good first impression. 
we were trying to put our best foot forward to say, hey, we're here and here's why you might want to consider being a part of our ministry. That was what our public launch looked like. And we started at the cinema. We wanted to make sure we had people at the door and the right child care and the right kind of music. Like we wanted to make, again, a good first impression. That is not at all Jesus' strategy here. This is the launch of Jesus' public ministry. And guys, honestly, if you would have been a disciple, you would have been embarrassed by what he is doing right here. This is a humiliating thing. And yet all four gospels say it is so important, every one of them include it in their gospel accounts. Matthew talks about this, Mark, Luke, and John. And so what gives? Why does Jesus choose to launch his public ministry in this way? Well, fortunately, Jesus himself tells us. If you look back with me in verse 13, Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But verse 14, John tried to deter him saying, no, 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 I need to be baptized by you. Earlier, John said, I'm not even worthy to carry this man's sandals. I I don't need to be baptized, uh, right? You don't need to be baptized by me. I need to be baptized by you. And yet look at what verse, uh, verse 15, what Jesus says in reply to this. Let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this. Why? In order to fulfill all righteousness. In other words, Jesus says, this is something that must be done in order for me to fulfill the very mission that God has given me. And what is the mission that God has given Jesus? Well, in short, it's to come and die in the place of sinners like you and me so that we can be forgiven. Theologians call this, and you ready for this? Write this down if you're taking notes. You can use it on your friends at lunch break this week. Theologians call this penal substitutionary atonement. Penal, meaning Jesus came to the cross and he died and he paid the penalty for your sins that you should have paid. Substitutionary, meaning Jesus was a substitute. He stood in your place and he took the wrath of God that was reserved for you for sin. Atonement, meaning he did this so that you could be atoned for, so that you could be redeemed, so you could be forgiven, so that you could be made new. Paul says it like this in 2 Corinthians 5, 21. It says, God made him, talking about Jesus who knew no sin, to be sin so that we may become the righteousness of God. At the cross, Jesus became the most disgusting and vile human being to ever live. He never sinned, but at the cross, he became your sin. And he became my sin. So that when we trust in him, we can be clothed in his righteousness. So that his perfect record can be credited to us. So that now, no matter who you are or what you've done, if your faith is in Christ, you can stand before God spotless holy, blameless, and accepted. And according to Jesus in verse 15, he says this baptism here is the first and necessary step for completing that mission. By being baptized in the Jordan River, what Jesus is doing in this moment is he is identifying with sinful humanity. Though he never sinned in this moment, he is choosing to stand in solidarity with sinners that he would one day go and die for. And guys, this is the whole reason Jesus came to earth. There's a part, uh, uh, there's a story in Mark 2 where the religious leaders of the day, and remember the religious leaders, we look down on them now, but like at the time, like they were held in high regard. You wanted to be like the Pharisees. You wanted to be like the Sadducees. You like, you looked up to those guys. There's a scene in Mark 2 where they are disgusted by the people that Jesus is hanging out with. And they go and they talk to the disciples and they literally say, this is the New Living Translation, why is your teacher hanging out with the scum of the earth? And here's Jesus' response. You see it on the screen. Jesus overheard them, and he says, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I have come not to call those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. That's why I'm here. That's why I hang out with who you think is the scum of the earth. 
because they know they need me. God goes where he's wanted. God goes where he knows that he's needed. Earlier this week, I spent time with a, a family in my office, and a man confessed to me um, about a time recently in his life where he was shocked by just how sinful he is. He made some decisions that could have ruined his family. And rather than sitting in just this toxic shame and beating himself up, this made him desperate for Jesus. He said, I realized for the first time in my adult life just how much I need Christ. And so he repented of these sins that he had been committed, that he had been busted, and he turned to Christ. And according to this man with his wife sitting there, what he, has been, what he is now able to testify to is the fact that Jesus, since this moment, has been transforming his heart and his life and his marriage in really beautiful ways. And it's not been easy. There's been tears. There's been ups and downs. But as I listened to this man and his wife share their story, I found my heart just filled with so much gratitude. Because in many ways, their relationship with God and with one another and their kids is better than ever. And it started with a desperation for Jesus. Guys, this is the way this thing works. As crazy as it seems, listen to me, the one thing God needs from you the most is your neediness. It's for you to come to an end to yourself where you are shocked by your own sinfulness, where you admit, man, I am broken, I am flawed, and even on my best days, as the prophet Isaiah says, my righteousness is as a filthy rag compared to his holiness. And in response to that, you don't beat yourself up, you just turn to Jesus, the one in whom we find the freedom and the forgiveness and the fulfillment that we are longing for. Today, we're going to be blessed to celebrate six baptisms, two this service, four the next. And one thing you're going to notice as you hear these stories is that Jesus is the hero of their story. What you're going to notice, the people who are coming up here are not going to be baptized because they're really good people. They're being baptized because they have recognized their need for Jesus. They have recognized, as the old hymn goes, that my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. And this is what Jesus is getting at in verse 15. It's why he started his public ministry in this humiliating way. By slipping into these waters, he is identifying himself with sinful humanity whom he came to die for. So that we can now, through his death, because he paid the penalty for our sins, be clothed in his righteousness. And so upon hearing this, John's like, all right, I guess I need to baptize you then. He consents, it says, he agrees to baptize the sinless son of God. And look what happens next, verse 16. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And then a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. There's so much that I could say right here, but here's just the point I want to make. This is the very first time in all of the scriptures where we see the Trinity on full display explicitly like this think about that in all of the bible this is the first place where we clearly see the father and the son and the spirit all at work and here's what's amazing to me when is it that the triune god decided to reveal himself most fully and completely to us it is in this moment of humble love where God, the all-powerful one, slips into the muddy waters of the Jordan River and identifies with the last, the least, and the lost. And what's incredible to me is that if you place your faith in Jesus and his life, his death, his burial, and resurrection, the same words that were spoken over Jesus at his baptism is now spoken over you. 
no matter who you are or what you've done. Here's what the Father says about you right now if you're in Christ. This is my son. This is my beloved daughter with whom I am well pleased. As Paul says in Romans 8, 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You have a whole new sign, a whole new name tag that's been placed over your life. It doesn't say big fat sinner. It says righteous one, holy one, beloved son, beloved daughter of God. And so with all that in mind this morning, the invitation for you is just to open your heart to the love of God. To trust that God wants to meet you where you are in the middle of your own mess and to gently and patiently and lovingly walk alongside you and lead you into abundant life. And I know for some of you, listen, this is not going to be easy. Some of you have been hurt in ways that I can't even fathom. Some of you have been betrayed, you've been let down, you've been disappointed, you've been rejected, and therefore it is very hard for some of you to open your heart to anyone. It's hard for you to open your heart to this holy God, to let him come close to you. And if that is where you are, I just want to read to you real fast. This is from the prophet Isaiah, and his, this is his description of the Messiah. He says this about Jesus. Isaiah 42, verse 3, a bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. You see a bruised reed, maybe it's cracked, you think, what's the point? I'm just going to throw it out. It's not the way God works. If you feel broken today, Jesus wants to come near to you, not to throw you away, but to heal you, to repair you. A smoldering wick he will not quench. If you look at these candles, imagine if one of them was about to go out. There was very little flame. Maybe it's even smoking. You say, what's the use? Throw it away. Get another candle. It's not the way Jesus works. He looks at those of us who feel like we've taken all that we can take. Those of us who feel like we have little to no life or energy left in us, that we're burnt out, that we have nothing left to offer. And he says, let me come and nurture you. Let me come and blow the wind of my spirit on this fire to rekindle this flame. And to make you... To make your life bigger and better and brighter and more beautiful than you can ever imagine. That's the way Jesus rose. When I was younger, I played baseball. And I had some good coaches and some not-so-good coaches. Um, one of the not-so-good coaches, my parents were on the front row, they'll, they'll remember this, was when I was 14 years old and I was in Babe Ruth. And I had a coach, he knew the game really, really, really well. But he was just constantly shaming the players. Constantly. I mean, nothing was ever good enough. He would yell at us. I remember one time striking out and looking. And he just shook his head in disappointment. Wouldn't talk to me after the game. I mean, he was just, he was a very hard coach to play for. I remember being afraid. I'd play in fear. And eventually I just quit. I was like, what's the point of this? Like, I'm, they don't pay me enough to be doing this. It's supposed to be a game of playing for fun. I'm not having any fun. I'm done. Right? I quit. He was a not so good coach. One of the best coaches I ever had was a guy named Chip Dorch. Some of you know Chip Dorch. He's passed away now. But Coach Chip, uh, I loved having playing for Coach Chip. He also knew the game well. But the thing about Chip is when he saw you beating yourself up, he would come alongside you and he would comfort you. And he would encourage you. And, and if you made mistakes, he didn't like ignore them. Like he wanted you to get better. He wanted to teach you the game. But he would do it in a way that made you feel built, built up, not like tore down. And as a result, like I played that whole year and I, I loved it. It's actually the best you ever played. I got MVP of the league that year, ironically enough. Like imagine like how that changes a kid's behavior, how they work, how they play. And, and I share that just to say this, like 
God is much more like Coach Chip Dorch than he is like that Babe Ruth coach I had. And you need to hear that today. Like, God is the kind of God who wants to meet you where you are. Does he want, listen, does God still want you to repent of your sins? Yes. Does God want you to change and to be more and more like Jesus? Yes. Does he want us to work on the stuff in our life that's broken and not yet the way it should be? Yes. But the difference between the religious Jesus and the real Jesus is the real Jesus, the one we see in the Gospels, will meet you where you are. He will not stand far off and just shake his head in disappointment at you when you fail all over again. But he will descend down into the muddy waters of your own life. And with patience and gentleness and love, he will guide you and he will empower you to increasingly become more and more the man or the woman you were created to be. That's our God. And to those of you who say yes to this invitation today... He will invite you to be baptized. That is the first step of obedience in the Christian life. In Matthew 28, Jesus says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so if you have surrendered to the love of Jesus, your first step, your first act of obedience is to follow him in baptism. Just as Jesus was baptized, he wants you to be baptized. And as I said, uh, we get to celebrate six of those today, two the first service, four in the next. And here's what I want to say as we're about to enter into this, this time where we celebrate through baptisms. Three things very quick about baptism. Because I know that we come in here and, and different people have all different backgrounds, theologically and, and denominationally and all that. So let me just say kind of three things that we think is important for you to know when it comes to baptism. Number one, baptism publicly declares your repentance. Like those who went to the Jordan River... Baptism is a way that we declare that we are sinners in need of Jesus. Secondly, baptism is by immersion. I'm not going to harp on this, but the word baptism literally comes from the Greek word baptizo, which means to immerse or to plunge. And so just as Jesus went down into the water and came up out of the water, that's just the model that we tend to follow. And I want you to think about how powerful this image is. There's kind of two really powerful images when you go down in the water and come out is first off you need to know in the ancient times and the biblical times water was a sign of chaos it was a sign of god's wrath so you remember noah and the ark that whole story right like the water the flood was god's wrath being poured out on sinful humanity but in the scripture it says right we see that the ark carried one family through that flood safely and what the new testament says is jesus serves as an ark for you to bring you through God's wrath safely. So when you go down and you come out, that's what you're being reminded of. We also know, according to the New Testament, that it's a picture of death, burial, and resurrection. That we have been buried with Christ. We've died of the old man, the old flesh, that no longer has power over us anymore. And we're being raised to new, new life. And just as Jesus experienced a death, burial, and resurrection, we get to experience a death, burial, and resurrection. And so baptism is about repentance, it's about immersion. Third, finally, I'd say this. We believe baptism is an evidence of salvation not a condition for salvation. And so here's the truth. You can 100%, if you're reading your Bible, you can cherry pick verses that will seem to very much say you that baptism is what saves you, right? And there's all kinds of denominations and theologies built on that. I don't want to look down on any of those, but, but when you read the Bible in its wholeness, in its entirety, in its context, to me and the pastors of this church, it seems to be abundantly clear that we are not saved by baptism. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. 
And so if you're like, well, then why should I be baptized? If baptism doesn't save me, why be baptized? Well, one, because Jesus commands it. But then secondly, it is a way that we say, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Do you realize when you become a Christian, you become a missionary? And the call of God is to go and proclaim the gospel. And this is a way for people to come and to begin to do that right here and right now, to proclaim the gospel. And I want you to to just consider this too. Like, this is a symbol of the fact that someone has experienced a new birth. When we celebrate birth, do we not usually invite our family and friends to those things? Yeah. When we celebrate birthdays, we invite family and friends. Or or think about it as a wedding. There's just now this union the Bible talks about between this person being baptized and Christ. If you are in a wedding or if you're going to get married, do you have to have a wedding ceremony to be to be married? Do you have to have a wedding ceremony to be married? No, you don't. But a lot of people choose to do it. Why? Because you want people to celebrate. You want to declare publicly, I am in love with this person. They are in love with me. We are coming together. And so those are some reasons why baptism is so important. As... We celebrate these baptisms. Two things I would encourage you to do. And, and Chris, you're ready. I guess whoever else is going to be helping baptism, you can come forward. Two things. One, celebrate. The Bible says rejoice with those who rejoice. This is a joyful moment. So rejoice with those who are about to be baptized. Secondly, remember your own baptism in this moment. Remember that you too, if you have been baptized, have been baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So that means that you are a child of God. That's what it means to be baptized in the name of the Father. Be baptized in the name of the Son it is a reminder that you are a disciple of Jesus, that He is the Lord of your life, that you no longer are your own. You were bought with a price. And then as you're baptized in the name of the Spirit, it's a reminder that you are a missionary. You are to be a sent one. And if you're here today and you're like, I've never been baptized, I'm so glad you're here. So glad you're here. And I would just encourage you today as you see these baptisms to take seriously what we've talked about If you've never given your life to Jesus, give your life to him today. Surrender to his love.